As we continue our study from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the focus of our lesson this morning is Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. We want to read those verses at this time. If you are following along in the Bible in the pew in front of you, then that passage can be found on page 1034. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Some of you may be artists. I can barely sketch a stick figure. But I love to see artists work, and I love to see their renderings that they can portray. When we think of some of the greats, Rembrandt comes to mind, and immediately one of the things that folks that know Rembrandt very well would recognize that was a man that loved to do self-portraits. In just a little over 40 years that he painted, he painted at least 60 self-portraits. Now that would be on average a self-portrait every eight or nine months. When we think about the idea of painting ourselves, it's interesting to see how would you portray yourself. When you were a younger person, what would you want your portrait to portray? And now, perhaps at your age now, and even older. It's interesting to see that for Rembrandt, as a youth or a younger painter, the physical characteristics were very, very strong in his portraits. But yet, as he grew older, his paintings were much more subtle, much more reserved. Now, another artist that comes to mind, and especially when we think of self-portraits, is that of Norman Rockwell. Some wouldn't put the two in the same category, but yet one of Norman Rockwell's inspirations was Rembrandt. And you can't help but wonder if that great artist of self-portraits might have inspired him to at least do two different paintings that we have today of self-portraits. You'll remember his, coverings of the, his covers of the Saturday Evening Post. Over 300 of them, of his paintings, filled that cover. He had a way of bringing everyday life, and especially the ordinary small town living to life, with such detail that usually brought a smile to our face. But on one particular occasion, he decided to portray himself. And if you'll notice in this particular painting called The self the triple self-portrait, there's no floor and no background in that painting. You see, all the emphasis was upon himself. 
And if you'll notice there, he seemed to give a view of himself at work, the man looking in the mirror with his glasses, do his best work. But yet the man that he's portraying on canvas seems to be a much more relaxed man. Maybe he's showing himself at work and himself at home, relaxing. You'll notice the little tub to his side smoking. In 1943, his studio in Vermont burned. He lost many of his paintings. It was a very difficult thing to endure. He lost many of his costumes. He lost his studio. You'll notice also the dog-eared book there with a Coke on it. You see, as you begin to study the portrait, now notice this, as you begin to study the portrait of himself, you begin to learn more about him. Who inspired him? You can see those four portraits of self-portraits of great artists of the past. And no doubt, one of those there is Rembrandt. No surprise. This morning, how would you portray yourself? Maybe you're not an artist, and so you'd have to tell an artist, when you paint me, I want you to be sure and have this in my glass. I want you to be sure and have this as a time of loss in my life. I want you to be sure and and have me at the time of my life where I'm here because that's an important time. And maybe a reflection in a mirror when I'm here because that's an important time of my life also. Oh, and I want you to have some pictures over here because those are people that have inspired me. What would be the things surrounding you in your portrait? What people would inspire you? What things would be a part of your life? Can we stand back and hold our portrait before God and know that God would be pleased with that portrayal of our life? Every one of us, every day, we have a brush in our hand and we're sketching something. Every one of us are portraying something to the people around us, the people we live with, the people we work with, and the people at school. We're either showing them a little more of Jesus Christ, or we're not. And this morning, as we've had so capably read for us the text where Paul is asking them, he's telling those people of Galatia, you've had Christ portrayed to you, and now look what you're portraying to others. It's a conflicting message. But before the text this morning, let's drop back now and let's read three verses prior where Paul would literally say to them, in other words, I want to begin with a personal argument. Some have taken the third and fourth chapter of Galatians and says it's some of the strongest writing that Paul has ever done. He uses some of the strongest language. He speaks very straightforward. And they have divided these two chapters into six arguments that he gives. And it's a very beautiful outline. And we may mention those from time to time as we go through these next two chapters. The first argument that he gives them that we'll discuss today is that of a personal argument. In other words, he says, let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you've gone through. And let's learn some things today. But I would like to begin that with three verses prior to that because I believe that really he links these verses prior to say, let me show you the portrayal of me and then let's look at the portrayal of you. 
Let's read together. We're in the second chapter now of Galatians, and let's read 19 through 21. And as we read this in just a moment, we're going to go back and, and look at the next slide in just a moment that we'll have these same phrases exactly as they're written in bullet form. And every one of these bullets will be built around the personal pronouns of I or me. So be looking for that as we read through this. In other words, Paul is painting a portrait of himself. Here's what Paul wanted them to see about him. Verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now notice on this next slide those, those same phrases we just read, but notice how each one now stands out with that personal pronoun. In other words, Paul was making a very strong plea to them to say, look, I'm going to paint a portrait of myself, and I want you to see now how I see myself. And as we see the first three lines there, we notice that the emphasis is not upon Paul at all. The emphasis is upon Christ and him crucified with Christ. The next few lines we see that, again, the emphasis is not really upon Paul, even though I and me is very much a part of these verses. The emphasis is upon Christ living in me. And then at the end, the emphasis is upon, look, I don't deserve this. I'm only enjoying this because God loved me. And because of that, I don't frustrate the grace of God. So let's think as we go to this next slide. In other words, if Paul was going to give a portrayal of himself, notice this portrayal as he would say, let's go to the next slide. Let's back up one. Okay, I'm missing the slide there. But notice, as, as he would say in this portrayal, he would say, I'm crucified with Christ. Let's look at Romans, the sixth chapter. In Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse six, Paul, the same author, would write, Jeff warned me before that he had the remote. <laughs> Maybe he's playing games with me. All right, in Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse six, Notice how Paul writes here about being crucified with Christ. And notice what he says, writing now to the people of Rome. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. To be crucified with Christ is what we usually call in the Scriptures repentance. We know when Christ died upon the cross, he didn't go to the cross to just kind of injure his life. He went to the cross for his life to be taken. In other words, his life was put to death. So when we crucify the old person of sin, we don't say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I want to sin so that Christians don't see me sinning anymore. In other words, I'm going to try to cover up sin. Or I'm just going to slow down sinning. I'm not going to sin all the time, just when I go on vacation. Or I'll only sin on the weekend. Friends, if we're going to be Christians, Paul says, I want to show you a portrait of my life. He says, there was a time in my life where I took the old person of sin and I put them totally to death. We give all of our will to God. If you're painting a portrait of yourself this morning, has there been a time in your life where you have wholly put to death the life of sin? 
We're never going to be perfect on this earth. But we have to have every intention that we give our life fully to God. And when we sin, it is the mistake. It is the exception. It is the thing that we repent of and come back to God again. But the idea of remaining in sin, that grace may abound, God forbid. This same chapter in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 1 and 2. If anyone had a right to gloat in the flesh... Now, if you have been here for several Sunday mornings, you know we have been working through Galatians, the sixth chapter. If you've been in an adult Bible class this morning, you know that we've been working through the book of Galatians. And so as we look here in Galatians, the the great theme of the book of Galatians is Christ only. Don't mix the old law and the works of the flesh, that of circumcision or special days. Don't try to mix that with Christ. Stay with Christ only. Look with me, if you will, to Philippians, the second chapter. And as you're turning there, I want you to imagine in in your mind here the portrait of Paul as he says, I am alive by faith. So we see him crucified with Christ, but then we see him alive by faith. And we think, well, what is this faith? This faith is so much more than just a trust. In other words, someone says, well, I have faith in God, I trust in God. The faith that Paul is speaking of is a faith in Jesus Christ where our system of belief is committed and convicted by what we find in the New Covenant. We trust God's will to be the will by which we should live. Now, if anybody had a right to boast in the works of the flesh, in Philippians, let's go to the third chapter, Philippians the third chapter, and let's look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, I was one of the circumcised. I could boast in the flesh, but there's no reason to boast in the flesh because now our life is in the Spirit. Now our life is in faith in Christ. And notice this boasting he could have done, verse 4 and following. For though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. You hear what he's saying? You think you have confidence in the flesh? I can trump you. That's what he's saying here. And listen to this boasting. Verse 5. He says, I've circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were again, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. You see his point? I'm no longer alive in the flesh. I'm now alive in Christ. I'm alive in the faith in Christ. Now, how did all of this come about? You'll see there that even in the text that we read this morning in Galatians, the second chapter, he ended verse 20 by saying, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans, the fifth chapter, in verses 1 and then... Uh, skipping down into verse 8. Notice again, and by the way, let me throw this in for what it's worth, department. 
if we really get a grasp on what it is to live under the work of the law, talking about the influence of the old law, and to live by faith, talking about that system of belief that comes through Christ, we're going to have a much better understanding of the book of Romans, much of Corinthians, most of Hebrews, and all of Galatians. You see, the writings are parallel. If, if you've been studying in depth through this series of Galatians, now you can flip through the book of Romans and you're going to see a passage that says, that looks just like Galatians. Next chapter, that looks just like Galatians. Next chapter, that looks just like Galatians. You'll be able to flip through Hebrews and do the same thing. That looks just like Galatians. That looks just like Galatians. Here's an example. The topic coming right out of the fourth chapter is what we're discussing in Galatians. And so he says in the fifth chapter in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, notice, you're not justified by circumcision. You're not justified by the old law. You're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did all this come about? Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did His part. It's unconditional and it's sacrificial. He didn't say, I tell you what, you observe all of these days and then we'll decide if I'm going to save you. You first be circumcised and then we'll decide whether or not you can be saved. God loved us. He sent His Son. He gives to us a scheme of redemption that is found in Christ. And it doesn't matter if we're Jew or if we're Gentile. It doesn't matter if we're rich or if we're poor. It doesn't matter which side of the world we live on. It is found in Christ. You see, that is a portrayal of Paul. Paul would say, make sure my portrait that it shows that I'm crucified with Christ. Make sure it shows that I am alive and living by faith. Make sure everyone realizes that my self-portrait, it's not because of my own righteousness, it's because God has loved me. But now let's go back to Galatians and let's look at a portrait of them. In the third chapter in the text that we have just had read for us, notice as we see first the portrait of those of Galatia is that they are bewitched. Notice as we read verse 1 again, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? You see, in the past, their past portrait would have been that of being crucified with Christ, just like Paul. You see, they'd heard the gospel the first missionary journey, Acts the 13th and 14th chapter, they had submitted their life to Jesus Christ. They had crucified the old man of sin. They had been buried with Christ, and they had raised to walk that life of faith. But yet someone came in and bewitched them. And now they were no longer obeying the truth. Now let's note a little sideline here before we talk about what it is to be bewitched. When it says they were not obeying the truth, what we learn from the book of Galatians is not that they stopped following the practices that were uh, affirmative in the new covenant. What they were doing was just adding to it. Does that sound familiar? The world today, what can we add to and still please God? You see, they were still practicing New Testament Christianity. They were just adding circumcision as a part of it. Well, surely we can add a ceremony here. 
Surely we can add some kind of special worship and a form of special worship here. Surely it doesn't hurt if we just add a title before this guy's name. Surely it doesn't hurt if we add this to our worship. Well, in Galatia, when they added to the truth, he says they no longer obeyed the truth. We disobey the truth if we do it in whole, but yet then go beyond. That's called transgression in the Scriptures, to go beyond when we transgress the truth and start adding other things to it. He says, you must have been bewitched. You know, when you see intelligent people do things that you just kind of scratch your head and say, I can't believe they just did that. They're way too smart for that. That's kind of what Paul is saying here. He says, you're acting so foolish. Has someone kind of gotten in your mind and performed some kind of hoodoo on you? Have they bewitched you? Now, if you know me very well, you know that my favorite part of the Wilson County Fair, you've seen me there, many of you have seen me there, and you know where you've seen me. I'll be where the guy doing the hypnotic show is every time that show performs if I'm there. Tracy, she'll, she'll get aggravated. David, you've already went once tonight. I want to go again. I love to see it. I love to see it people's minds, and he can get them to believe that when it's 80 degrees outside, that they're freezing to death, and they're rubbing their shoulders, and they're cuddled up with somebody they don't even know next to them, and they're just trying to warm up, and then in an instant he'll say, now you're burning up. Don't take off any clothes. You're burning up. And they're just, oh, they're fanning themselves. Who bewitched you? I came through, and I taught you the gospel. And even though people were persecuting me, you still believed it. You still obeyed it. And you even endured the persecution yourself. And now I receive word that you've left the gospel. You've gone to some other teaching. Judaizing teachers that have come in and said, you need to observe these special days going back to the old law. You need to observe circumcision going back to the old law. Who's fooled you? Who's gotten into your mind? Friends, they may have been fooled. And somebody did get into their mind, but I remind you again this week, as I did two weeks ago, God and Paul still held them accountable. We're still responsible, even if we've been bewitched. We are responsible for what we believe. We are responsible for what we practice. He says, the former portrait was beautiful. You were crucified with Christ. The portrait now is not nearly so beautiful. Now you're bewitched. Now you're dazed. Now you're just following false teachers. But let's notice this second verse. In this second verse, he reminds them of the gift that they received. And again, reading verse 2, it's there on your slide, Galatians 3 and 2. This only I want to learn from you. In other words, he says, I've been teaching you, now I want you to teach me. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see, before, their former portrait would have been that of the Spirit by faith. They had been baptized into Christ, Acts 2 and 38, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2 and 38. They had received that gift of the Holy Spirit. Just as we read over in 1 Corinthians, look with me real quick to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter in verse 
13. Notice here as he talks about that gift of the Spirit as we enter into the body of Christ through baptism. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. See, it doesn't matter. He doesn't say, now listen, if you want to become a part of the body of Christ, to come by the Spirit, you're going to have to be circumcised first, then baptized. Circumcision isn't an issue. That's a part of the old law. That's over. That's done away with. Now we're living by faith in Christ Jesus. For as by one Spirit we're all baptized in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. And so here we see the gift. They had had that in the past. They had that spirit given to them. But now, the portrayal that they would have now is that they're trying to live by the works, except you can't live by the works. And so the finality for them, if they don't change, is they're going to be dead in their works. In other words, they're going to try to be saved by a way that is impossible for anyone to be saved. We'd have to live perfectly under the old law, and no one can live perfectly under the old law. And so, if they would just look at the gift. You see, what Paul is saying to them here is, when did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, they could think back in their mind. Well, Paul, when you came through and taught us, and we were baptized into Christ, that's when we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's it. Okay, what about when the Judaizing teachers came in? What about when the Judaizing teachers came in and they told you, you need to be circumcised and those Gentiles need to be circumcised first? Did you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? No. Okay. That's the point. If you'll just look at what is, you have experienced in your life, you will see that that's a false portrait of what you want to be. Let's look at verse 3 as we look at the foolishness again. He again starts verse 3 by saying, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit and now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, they begun, just as we talked about in verse 2, they begun by being baptized into Christ, they received the gift of the Spirit of God, and now they can live by that faith, by that system of beliefs that's leading them to God. But he says, now, wait a minute, do you think you can be going down that track and then all of a sudden just jump onto another track and yet have the same destination? No, you can't begin with the Spirit and then jump over the tracks of the old law and end in the same place. Why do you think some people are tempted to do that? I don't think by any means this would be everyone, but this would be a, probably a lot of folks. We can go back to 2 Kings, the 5th chapter, and we see Naaman comes down with leprosy. He has an important position in life. He is over the king's army the commander of the king's army. One of the servants hears that he has leprosy and says, you know, over in Israel, there's a prophet that could heal you of that. Well, he receives permission from his king to go over and stand before the king of Israel. The king of Israel is in somewhat of a dilemma what to do since he is a Gentile, but yet Elisha hears this and says, send him out to me. When he stands out before his door, instead of Elisha going out and healing him, Elisha sends out a servant and tells him, what you need to do is you need to go to the Jordan River and you need to dip seven times. All he wanted was healing, right? He wanted healing with attention. I need to understand this point. Why do you think those of Galatia were being so tempted to get into all of this 
old law, circumcision, special days. It brought so much attention to the things they wanted in their life. Friends, I need to be very careful anytime I start placing my desires on the same plane of thought as the will of God. Naaman was so angry, he said, I'm just going to leave and I'm going to go. Notice what he even said here in 11. He became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and he will stand and he will call on the name of the Lord his God and he will wave his hands over the place and he will heal me of my leprosy. He didn't do it the way I wanted. That didn't bring enough attention to me. I'm a commander of an army and a prophet can't step out the door and talk to me. We can't have a big ceremony here. How many times have I walked in this auditorium, walked right back there and baptized someone into Christ with only two or three people standing around? Oh, they can't be saved. It's not enough ceremony. It's got to be something big. It's got to get everybody's attention. It's got to have so much feel good in it. Well, they didn't wave their hands enough. So that's what Naaman said there. I expect him to come out. Talk face to face with me. Wave his hands about at me. You're going to send a messenger to me? I just won't go to your Jordan River. What does he say? Servant says, if the Lord would have asked something great of you, wouldn't you have done it? What a thought. You wanted healing. And the Lord was going to do it in such a way that the emphasis was upon God. And you wanted it done in such a way that the emphasis was upon you. Friends, it's not about me and you. It's about God. And that's what Paul is trying to get the people of Galatia to see. It's not about what you want out of the old law. It's about God. This morning, if there was a portrait painted of you, would that portrait indicate that your life is about God? You know, there's a lot of talk about the spiritual life. How you are at work. How you are in your religion. How you are at your spiritual life. You know, Christ, according to Paul, was His life. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This afternoon and this week, if the Lord wills time, you and I are going to paint a portrait. The Lord doesn't want us to look and say, what are you going to paint in the religion, in the religious scene? He wants to know, what are you going to paint when you go home with your loved ones this afternoon? What are you going to paint with your family this week when there's some conflict at home? What are you going to paint in the workplace when you go out to lunch tomorrow with coworkers? 
What are you going to paint in the way you deal with competitors? What portrait are we going to paint? If your portrait doesn't have you being crucified with Christ this morning is the time to make that a part of your portrait. Make sure that you've crucified the old person of sin, that you've baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, and that now you are alive, not because of your own righteousness, but because of God's righteousness, and you're living by faith. If you've done that in the past, but yet, with your paintings, there's some marks there that you don't like. There'd be some pictures on your canvas that you wouldn't like at all. There would be some things sitting around you that you absolutely would not ever want God to ask you about. Isn't it wonderful that the great Almighty God says, we can paint that again. I'll forgive you. We can take that right off your canvas. Now let's start afresh. This morning, there's no reason for any of us to leave here not liking our portrait. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.